if you want to know the secrets of Hollywood, you don't necessarily need Cosmopolitan. Turn on the radio and listen to Gossip, the program about celebrities. Every Tuesday from 17 to 18 on Mustafa 89.6. Hello, everybody. This is already the time for your favorite podcast. Obviously, I'm talking about Gossip. I know that each one of you is waiting with a lot of excitement, hearing about the news of the last celebrities who had sex with who or who is the father of which baby. But I'm sorry, I will disappoint you today. I'm alone in the studio, nobody with me, so I will make my own gossip program. And I will talk about something that you are not used to. You will not hear about any sex story of any celebrity. You will not hear about any celebrity in general or... To be fair, you are going to hear about someone that you should hear about because it could be an example and not someone that you just see on a movie and who have a good voice and a good smile because I don't care about this thing. So if you don't like it, you can switch off your radio right now. So today I'm going to talk about Yvon Chouinard. For most of you, you have absolutely no idea of this guy, who this guy is. And actually, I will not make a list of what he has done and why you should be fan of this guy or whatever. Because if you are curious, you will do it by yourself. Otherwise, I'm just wasting my time and yours at the same time. So basically, what I'm going to do today for this gossip, for this improvised gossip program, is that I'm going to read you some of his notes about uh, his climbing upon the North America wall. For the one of you who don't know, the North America Wall is a chain of mountain, or ex exactly a mountain, situated in the Yosemite National Park in the USA. This is one of the most difficult mountains to climb, and this guy has succeeded. And I'm going to read to you this adventure from this guy, which has climbed this mountain on 1964, and especially in during the month of October. October 21, first pitch. In the afternoon, Tom Frost and I hiked to the base of the wall and I nailed the first pitch. Tom Cleans, White Chuck Pratt, Royal Robbins and some friends pack up the food on water to the base. The first pitch is surprisingly easy, but very steep. We come down and have a campfire with our friends. The night is warm for late October, but I can't sleep. This is the most nervous I've been before a climb. This wall is Royal's ID. I've never even glassed the route and I've no idea where it goes, if at all. These guys have been on two routes on El Cap. I haven't, and I've just gotten out of the army and I'm not in great shape. In the morning, as the sun hits the top of the wall of morning light, I see a peregrine falcon all lit up by the sun go into a stoop above us and it disappears into the shadow. My god, I think. This is a metaphor of us, blasting up to who knows what. Second pitch. Tom, middle D. Carly, nails his way up, placing pitons in poor cracks. Looking down from the belay, I watch the others below preparing the bags to hold up as soon as Tom and I move higher. A sharp tug on the rope tells me Tom has taken a small fall. A tiny flake has broken under his fifi hook. Third pitch. Tuggest nail I've ever done. 
absolutely vertical, with badly bottoming cracks. Nearly every pinton just barely goes in and has to be tied off. Others are nested, two or three together looking like steel flowers. I take a small fall when a crack breaks off. Fourth pitch. Another difficult pitch for Tom. Ties off pitons by driving the three hero loops into the cracks with the pitons, then ties into the loops, thus avoiding any leverage at all. Very clever. We get to a small ledge at dusk. Royal and Chuck all up the 200 pounds of gear in four duffel bags. The ledge is only 16 inch wide and can only fit their soul. I hang my hammock above. Not a good setup. We hit salami, cheese, bread, and drink or allocated one and half quarter of water each. October 23, fifth pitch. Chuck and Royals turn to climb while Tom and I hold. Chuck free climbs to a large ceiling, then nails under it to the right. It's very warm, and we are really thirsty and tired. Hate pitch. Royal leads, nailing a diagonal and another cracks to Calvera sledge. Good bivouac. October 24, 11th pitch. I chimney behind a thick flake to big sure ledge. It feels so cool in the chimney. I hate to leave. Tom and I eat lunch and flake out on the ledge. It's so hot, you can't touch the rock. It's just too hot to climb. The ledge is covered with flicker feathers, peregrine meal. I feel fairly good today, but thirsty. Twelfth pitch. After it cools off, Tom leads up, places a bolt, and we lower him down. He has to pendulum off to the left, but it's so steep, it just hung midair. We pull him in on the whole line, then let him go. After two tries, he grabs a handhold and slams in a piton and continues to nail up a six-inch expanding flake. Dangerous stuff. He plays the bolt, rappels off, and we pull him back in. Pitch 13 to 15. Royal and Chuck continue to traverse left to the base of the black overhanging Dirihal that we've been dreading. They return to Big Sur Ledge in the dark via an intricate system of fixed ropes. We pull them in from the void. October 26. 16. Pitch. Tom and I proceed up the fixed ropes, let ourselves down, then up again until we reach our mate's highest point in the DL. I lead up, really scurry up here. The wall itself overhangs and the DRL leans out at a wide angle. The exposure is unbelievable. 17 pitch. Tom does a fantastic job of nailing this dangerous pitch and make it to the great roof. Brad comes up and hangs a few feet below me and wait to hold. I clean the pitch in absolutely darkness. 
I use only fill and the light of the occasional spark from the hammer. My fingers are slow and like little sausage, and my wrists hatch from hammering. The great roof is a 25-foot ceiling. The wall overhang the base so much there's no much probability of retreat from here. By midnight, we have set up our hammock one above the other. October 27, pitch 18 and 19. I open my eyes to the wildest sight imaginable. It looks like a tenement house on a walk day. Amoks every which way, blue parkas, all in ropes slayed out, shows all hanging in a bazaar fashion from anchors. A TV news helicopter flies by and later I learn we are on the nightly news where my parents discover for the first time that when I've been saying that I claim, it doesn't mean hiking up hills. There's a semblance of a crack landing out under the roof and thankfully it's pressed turn to lead. We stay and belay from our hammock and watch the ropes going farther out. The pit and placement are bad, mostly placed in a quartz band. We can't see Chuck anymore. Just eerie morning. Royal really dreads following and has to replace a couple of pittons that have fallen out. Tom and I are left to clean house and we wait to go up and hole. When it's time, we have to let ourselves out until the ropes is vertical and then prusik up. We can hear Royal's hammer bits transmitted through the rock. He is having a hard time on the next pitch. Looks like bad water coming in. 20th pitch. Royal has a wild look in his eyes. He's heading to the barn. He makes short walk of a long pitch and he reaches a cave, Cyclop Haze, which is tucked under a big overhang. The rest of us go up in the dark. Rained and snowed all night, but we stayed dry in our cave. There is a curtain of water falling 20 feet out from us. October 28, 21st pitch, a moderate free pitch. 22 second pitch. Tom does a great job with difficult aid climbing with bottoming pitons. 23rd pitch. Tom and I feel loosey today, tired and running out of energy. Two meals a day of one square inch of salami, a tiny square of cheese, and a handful of corp is just not enough. I deal with an expanding flake and a dangerous block that's threatening to fall and crush everyone's below. We retreat to the cyclope where Royal and Chuck have had a rest day. It's very cold, rain and snow all night with blowing wind in all directions. October 29, 24th pitch. Cold, dreary day with snow all over the rim on the valley. 12 inches on top. Check leads, a very difficult pitch over. Loose flakes. 
25th pitch. Getting dark. So Royal goes for it. He yells to tie in another rope, then another, and stretches out the pitch to 200 feet. We all go up to the best bivouac spot yet. The igloo is protected from the elements and has a flat sandy floor. October 30, 26th pitch. It was a cold night, but a fine bivouac. I mark this is my 50th bivouac on a wall. Clary, beautiful weather. We find a, a few branches and make a fire. Brew tea and eat the last of our food. I lead up an easy free pitch. I feel great. We are going to make it. Tom says he feels like taking it easy today and just take photos. But we all know he's just being good-hearted in letting us get to the top first. 27th pitch. Royal takes his place and leads a difficult free and eight pitch. He puts in some bad placement to go over an arch. Steps off a rope to do a strenuous pull-up. 28th pitch. Fourth class to a three. Fourth class to a three. And third class to the top. I drop some ropes for the others and they follow up. So that was some text extract from the personal notes from North America Wall, uh, which has been written by Yvon Schwinar. Now I'm going to talk, now that the reading is finished, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this character, which is a really specific one and one of, I would say, the fathers of modern climbing. Yvon Schwinar, Yvon Schwinar, despite his French name, is actually an American which was born on November 9, 1938. He's known today as an American rock climber, environmentalist, and outdoor industry billionaire businessman. Uh, and his most famous company is Patagonia, which is known for its en environmental focuses. Schwinar's father was a French-Canadian handyman, mechanic, and plumber. In 1947, he and his family moved from Maine to Southern California. His early climbing partners include Royal Robbins and Tom Frost, as we've seen in the last uh, reading. A Sierra Club member in his youth, he founded the Thornton California Falconry Club, and it was his inf investigations on f of falconry that led him to rock climbing. To save money and make adaptation for the way he was climbing, he decided to make his own climbing tools, teaching himself blacksmithing and eventually started a business. In 1971, Trinar met and married his wife, who was an art and home economic student at California State University. Trinar was one of the leading climbers of the golden age of Yosemite climbing. He was one of the protagonists of the film made about this area, Valley Uprising. He participated in the first ascent of the North America Wall in 1974, as I just told you, with Raya Robbins, Tom Frost, and Chuck Pratt, using no fixed ropes. The next year is an T.M. Herbert's ascent of the Muir Wall on El Capitan, improved the style of previous first ascent. 
Trinard become the most articulated advocate of the importance of life, the basis of modern rocks climbing. In 1961, he visited Western Canada with Fred Beke and made several important first ascents, including the north face of Mount Edith Cavell in the Rockies, the Beckley Schwinar route on South Holder Tower in the Bugaboos, Purcell Mountains, and the north face of Mount Sir Donald, Selkirk Mountains. These climbs opened his eyes to the idea of applying Yosemite big wall climbing technique to mountain climbing and his advocacy was important to modern high-grade alpinism. Also, in 1961, he visited Shawagunk Ridge for the first time, free-climbing the first pitch of Matinee, the hardest free-climb done at Shawagunk Ridge at the time, and introducing Comolidibenum steel pitons to the area, which revolutionized the climbing protection. In 1968, he climbed Cerro Fitzroy in Patagonia by a new route, the California Road, third overall ascent of the mountain, with Dick Dowalt, Chris Jones, Lito Teja Flores, and Douglas Tompkins. Schwinner has also traveled and climbed in the European Alps and in Pakistan. The interesting part is that in 1957, he bought a second-hand coal ferret forge and started making hardness steel piton for use in Yosemite Valley. Between times spent suffering, surfing and climbing, he sold pitons out of the back of his car to support himself. The improved pitons were a big factor in the birth of big wall climbing from 1957 to 1960 in Yosemite. The success of his piton caused him to fund Twinar Equipment Ltd. In the late 1960s, Twinar and business partner Tom Frost began studying ice climbing equipment and reinvented the basic tools, crampons and ice axes to perform on stepper highs. These new tools and his book, Climbing Highs, published in 1978, started the modern sport of ice climbing. Around 1970s, he became aware that the use of steel pitons made by his company was causing significant damage to the crack of Yosemite. This pitons compromised 70% of his income. In 1971 and 1972, Twinner and Frost introduced new aluminium, chalkstone called eccentrics, and stoppers, along with the less successful steel crack up and committed the company to the advocacy of the new tools and a new style of climbing called clean climbing. This concept revolutionized the club, the rock climbing, and led to further success of the company, despite destroying the sales of pitons, formerly his most important products. They applied for a US patent on eccentrics in 1974 and it was granted on April 6, 1976. They are still manufactured by Black Diamond Equipment. In the later 1960s, Trinar attempted a number of significant technological and technique change to ice climbing after trips to the Alps in Europe and Sierra Nevada ice gullies in autumn. He removed the flexed from crampon, making them more rigid for front pointing. He drew the taper of a rock hammer into a point for better ice purchase. He increased the cross-section of ice crews while also using lighter materials. In 
He experimented with pick and blade issues with ice axes. Prior to this, much of ice climbing was seen as mere step cutting. He attempted to replace an ice pick climbing type with a small ice axe head called Climax. In 1989, Twinner Equipment Ltd. filed for bankruptcy protection in order to protect it from liability lawsuit. The, the hard assets of Twinner Equipment Ltd. were acquired by its employee through the Chapter 11 process, and the company was reestablished as Black Diamond Equipment. Twinner is most known for funding the clothing and gear company, Patagonia. In 1970s, on a trip to Scotland, he purchased some rugby shirts and sold them with great success. From this small start, the Patagonia company developed a wide selection of rugged technical clothing. Recognizing that the financial success of the company provided the opportunity to also achieve personal goals, Twinar committed the company to being an outstanding place to work. And to be an important resource for environmental activism. In 1984, Patagonia opened an on-site cafeteria offering healthy most vegetarian food and started providing on-site child care. In 1986, Twinner committed the company to, to teething for environmental activism, committing 1% of sale of 10% of profits, whichever is the greater. The commitment include paying employees working on local environmental projects so they could commit their effort full time. In the early 1980, an environmental audit of Patagonia revealed the surprising result at the time that corporate cotton, although it was a natural material, had a heavy environmental footprint. In 1986, Trinoir committed the company to using all organic cotton. In 2014, Patagonia supported the advocacy document, uh, documentary Damnation, which is about changing attitude in America towards its dams. Trinoir was the ex executive producer of the film, and he was also featured in the film commenting about dams. In 2018, he acknowledged that sustainability and responsible practice and core to Patagonia, even Trinoir was recognized with the Sierra club's top award the john muir award so that was it for this gossip program which was not about celebrity but which was an introduction to this idea of first mountain climbing for i think most of them this is a sport that you obviously knows about it but never practiced or never dares to do um, i hope that this example showed you how difficult it could be to fulfill some climbing in some condition, especially on the hardest mountains of, of the world. And Schwinner is the good example for that. Second one, and that was also my, my purpose, was not to make a panegyric for Yvon Schwinner, but more to introduce to you this character. At first, sportman of really high level, passionate about this discipline, but who became slowly by need and by passion and by opportunities. A businessman owner of a company specialized in which was at the origin is passion. 
I hope that you enjoy this gossip program and I say to you, see you next week for definitely another topic, more I think oriented about celebrities and other things and obviously not only with one person. So in the meantime, I wish you a really good week and see you next week on the same radio at the same hour and same wave. See you. A tantôt. Thank you, listeners. Meet you next Tuesday from 17 to 18 for the gossip program. Obviously on Moodstar FM 89.6.